I believe I have, uh, yep, they didn't turn off. So, how to know the best thing to do, how to know what's best. What's best is obviously God's will, right? I'm just starting at that as an assumption that we would agree that the best thing to do is what God would want for us to do, whatever that is. That would be the best thing. Um, It's interesting because knowing, like I was sharing with the kids, knowing the right thing to do, but it's also important when to do it, right? Like, Like just because it's right doesn't mean it's right to do today. It might need to wait till tomorrow. The timing might be important, right? Timing is very important. I wasn't just joking with the kids. <laughs> Our dog we're, had puppies, you know, a while back, and, and we're, we're dog-sitting. It's funny how our dog-sitting always seems to coincide with a trip to the vet. I've not yet figured that out yet, but, but once again, we're dog-sitting when it's time to go to the vet. And uh, so my, my son's dog, uh, they both like to, they're retrievers, so um, our dog likes to chase tennis balls. Uh, his dog likes to chase lacrosse balls. Uh, so you have two of them, and you gotta you gotta throw them different directions, otherwise they get confused. And uh, they, yeah, so you have to throw them in different. <laughs> it's it's quite a production in the mornings. So, uh, but this dog of my son's, he's a year old, and he is all puppy, right? He's got more legs than he knows what to do with. And uh, to watch him, he's a retriever, so he knows go get the ball and bring it back. He's got that. He knows what to do. The timing of it, though, it's got him completely befuddled. Like, he's been chasing a lacrosse ball for a year now, and you would think that he would figure out how it bounces. But no, that thing is a mystery to him. He will jump in the air to catch it in his mouth, and his legs go all which way, and his ears and his tail. He doesn't know what in the world he's doing. He, he's a mess. I wish you, I mean, you should, I should have brought him just so you could watch him, because he is a riot. He's like, I mean, he starts off looking good, and then he, once he gets in the air, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he just goes every which way. Timing is crucial. He, he, seldom does he catch it. It hits him more than he catches it, right? It, he just can't figure out how to get it right. It, it really does look silly. It really does look silly. But, but that, when to do the right thing is as important as doing the right thing. It's what to do, right? I mean, they're both essential. Essential. Questions that, that you and I have probably wrestled with over and over and over again. We know what we ought to do, but is it now or do I need to wait? Today in, uh, in our text, in Genesis chapter 31, we're back in our study of the book of Genesis. Um, today we see Jacob facing a decision. He knows what to do, but when? Like, like as we've been reading through the story, it's like, why, is, why hasn't he done anything yet? See, the, we're talking about Jacob because his decisions then, in the moment, determined the stories that we we know about him. It's the same thing about our lives. Same thing about our community. Same thing about our church. The decisions that are made today determine the stories that are told in the future. Same thing about your life. The decisions you make today determine the stories your kids and your grandkids are going to tell about you in the future. Before we get too caught up in thinking about what the stories are going to be told about us, let's stick to Jacob for a minute. Okay, just stay with me with Jacob, because Jacob, um, he in chapter thirty-one of the book of Genesis, he's at his breaking point. He's he's finally had enough of his uncle, his father-in-law, who happens to be his uncle, right? He's finally there. What's what all has happened to him? Well, just kind of give you a quick summary. 
uh, if you remember right, he left home because he had deceived his father and his brother, right? His brother was going to kill him. So mom said, hey, get out of here. He's coming to kill you. Go up and marry a girl like me, right? Go to my, go to my family and get you a bride that's related to me, his mom says. And so he goes three-week journey away, right? He travels away three weeks away from home, all by himself for the first time, apparently. He gets about halfway. He's asleep on the rocks, and God comes to him and says, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring you back, right? So he's like, hey, this is fantastic. I'm in the will of God here. And so he goes on. He he, he gets to where his uncle lives. He sees the love, love at first sight. He sees her. She walks out, and he's like, wow, I've got to marry that one. Proposes, says, I don't have anything to give you for a dowry, but I'll work seven years if you let me marry her. Dad says, his uncle says, okay, fine. Sounds like a great idea. I'd rather her go with you than anybody else. He works seven years, get married, and Uncle Laban switches the daughter's gives him the other's daughter instead of the one he was in love with. He wakes up the next day. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, that's the way the Bible tells us that it happened. And he's like, whoa, who are you? You're the sister, the one that didn't look good. Cow eyes. That was her name. Strange name, but it was Leah, right? So he goes back to his uncle. He says, this isn't right. And he says, you're right. I, I, I didn't tell you that you had to marry her first. I forgot. I left that part out. But if you'll work another seven years, then you can have the love of your life. He says, okay, done, done. He works 14 years for the love of his life. He winds up with two wives and two servants, and he's got children with all four of them, and he's only telling one that he loves them. It's not going to work out well, right? It's not a happy man. It's not a happy family. Never has been. 20 years now. Chapter 31, he's been in He's been with his father-in-law, with his uncle, for 20 years working. Over that 20 years, his uncle has again and again and again deceived him. Just like he deceived his dad and his brother, by the way. Right? Chapter, in the previous chapter, he, they made an agreement of how he was going to get paid. And his uncle took the livestock that was supposed to be his pay and hid it from him. Again and again and again, his uncle has deceived him. Again and again. We're left to ask, why are you still there? Like, why put up with that? Like, why not just leave? Take your wives, all four of them, and just go. I don't know. See, the problem, though, wasn't Laban, his uncle, although he was having problems with him, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was, when is the right time? You see, Jacob knew that he was to go back to, his prom- to the promised land. Jacob knew that he was to go back home. God had told him, right, on the way, sleeping on the rocks. God said, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to bring you back. So he knows what he's supposed to do. It's just when am I going to do it? It's been 20 years now, and he hadn't done, anything. He hadn't done it yet. What's happening? What's happening? All this 20 years, all this 20 years, nothing really changes. Uncle keeps deceiving. The daughters don't want to leave dad. Don't want to leave home, which what daughter does, right? That's why I moved to Maryland, because my, my wife didn't want to leave Maryland. So I moved here. It's easier, right? But, but at what point do you change? It's not one thing, it's another. It's another. It's another. See, Laban's not the problem. The problem is that Jacob 
doesn't answer the question, the real question. Is it time? Is it time? Chapter 31, God, it's, it's time. That's where we see Jacob finally decide. Make the decision. How did he know? How did Jacob know that this was the right time? I think we can, we can learn something about, from this. We can learn something from this about how Jacob knew. First, Jacob was convinced of God's plan. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, it said, God had spoken to him. This is when he was laying on the rock. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. I'm with you all the way. I'm not going to leave you till, till you come back. You, you can count on the fact that I am going to be with you. This was 20 years ago, this promise, in chapter 28. 20 years ago. If you've ever had an experience of when you were walking with the Lord close and God spoke to you, you don't forget it. You don't forget that. You don't forget that season of your life when, when it seemed like you, and the, like you could pray for hours. Literally hours, and it seemed like just a moment. Many of you here in this church have been on a walk to Emmaus. And that was maybe where you experienced that, that closeness with God. And, and you, you were like, wow. And you go back to those memories again and that, that experience again and again and again that, that that was a powerful experience in my life. That's what Jacob remembers 20 years ago, sleeping on that rock when God appeared. Maybe it's just spending time in prayer for us. But regardless, however we, God puts that desire in us, that longing for Jacob, it was to go home, that desire isn't alone. That desire alone is not enough. If it were, we'd be in a world of trouble, right? If we just followed every desire of our heart, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a mess. The world would be a bigger mess because it'd just be more people doing the desires of their heart, right? No. There's something more. Jacob was aware of his circumstances. Why did he go now? Because he was aware of what was going on in the world around him. That's why today, I, really, I, I'm just really focused on the first three or four verses in the book of Genesis, in the chapter 28 here today. It's a long story. But being aware of his circumstances, you, if you remember back before Easter, we were in chapter 30 where, where uh, Laban had agreed to pay Jacob all the speckled and spotted animals. That was going to be his pay. And then he hid them. And he, he stole them away from him. But God worked in such a way that all the livestock, that were all the healthy livestock that were born, were speckled and spotted. So that Jacob got to keep everything that was born from that point forward. And in verse 1 and 2, of, or verse 1 of, of chapter 31, Jacob heard Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to to our father. See, their inheritance, they've, they've watched their inheritance move from Laban to Jacob. How do you think they feel about that? Not good, right? Not good at all. Not, not really good. We can imagine that in our families, right? Even in our, amongst our own kids. Like, like if they knew what their inheritance was and they see an outsider, you've given it all to an outsider. <laughs> how, how do you think that's going to work? That's, they're not going to be happy about it, right? I mean, they, they may go along with it because it's yours to do whatever you want with, but, but they're, they're going to notice. 
they're going to notice. I, I told my family, I said, spend it all because I don't want to argue about it. <laughs> just, just get rid of it all before you die. doesn't matter. So, so, but that's, you can imagine that that's the conversation that these guys are going. They're, they're, they see their, their, the farm that they worked on their whole life being given, taken away by somebody else. They're not happy. Jacob knows they're not happy. He, under, he hears the conversation. And then in verse 2, Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Now, that, that must be really bad because Laban has been conniving and taking advantage of Jacob this whole time. I and mean, his attitude toward Jacob has been pretty bad from the get-go, right? So now for it to be even worse, I mean, it's off the charts bad. It's off the charts bad. But Jacob notices. Jacob notices it. In the following verses, verse 4 to 16, uh, Jacob begins a conversation with his wives. And they notice, too. That, I mean, they say that, that in, the, in, chapter, in verse 16, I believe, that, that just do whatever God is telling you to do because we can see that our Father treats us like foreigners, too. Everybody can see that it's time. It's time to make the decision. It's time to go. So, so Jacob has, he knows in his heart that he has to go home. And now everything around him seems to be telling him, go, go, run, run for your life again. Because right? these guys are coming after you again. Like, run. It's time to go. People are turning against him. The fact of the matter is, though, that that we shouldn't always be quick to run whenever things get hard. Because even this season of Jacob's life, look what it's accomplished in him, for him, right? He's become a wealthy man. In this season, these 20 years of hardship, he's got 11 kids who are going to be, or 12 kids, I guess. The, they're going to be the, the nations of Israel, right? He's, he's got all those kids. He's got more livestock than he can shake a stick at, even a striped, crooked, speckled stick, right? He's got... He's got more than he knows what to do with. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. See, this had worked, this has been miserable, this has been bad, and yet, it had worked, God had worked it for the good in Jacob's life. So just because everything's telling him it's time to go, just because in his heart he knows it's time to go, that's not enough. That's not enough. The last thing, God confirmed it. God confirmed that now it's time to go. Verse 3 of chapter 31. The Lord said to Jacob, go back to your, the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. God says, it's time, Jacob. Now's the time. All three of these in alignment made it crystal clear that, okay, pack your bags, ladies, we're going. Right? And that's what he told his wives. Load your camels. We're out of here. Wouldn't it be nice if God spoke to us that way? Like in a voice. I don't know what God sounds like to you, but to me, it's Sean Connery. Uh, that, that whenever I, like, I don't know why, but, but that's the voice of God in my head. That, that that's how God would sound when he spoke to me, when he told me what I needed to do. It would have a British accent. It would be a lot of bass in it. Wouldn't it be nice if God would speak like that, audibly, that we could hear? I'll grant you that we seldom have perfect alignment, at, like, like it's in Scripture. But that's why it's a story to tell, right? That's why there are principles for our lives. 
we seldom get the kind of clarity that we see in the life of Jacob here in three verses. But I would say that, that God, just like Jacob, God wants to direct our lives as well. God wants to direct our lives as well. And I believe that he is directing our lives. So how do we know what's best? How do we know what's God's will for us right now? How do you know what's best for, for you right now? The decisions that you're faced with. How do you know what God wants you to do? Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul, this is part of Paul's prayer, right? He's praying for the church in Philippi, for, the, for us, the church. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern, so that you may be able to discern, to, so you can tell what's best, and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So that you know what the rightest thing to do is, that you do it so that when Christ comes, you don't have to, nobody's going to point out, but you didn't, but you should have. It starts with knowing God. It starts with knowing the love of God. That's where knowing what to do, knowing God's will comes from. If you don't know God, you can't know God's will. I mean, it makes sense, right? that our love for God will actually give us a hunger to please Him. It will give us a desire to do the things that, that bring Him joy, that honor Him. Like loving God that much, like that's what Paul's talking about here, that you would love God so much that you would seek to glorify Him with your lives. That's what Paul's talking about when he refers to knowledge and insight, wanting us to have that, wanting us to understand how much God loves us so that we might orient our lives around his love for you and for me. That the decisions I make, my day-to-day decisions, wouldn't be about what's best for Gary. It'd be about the kingdom of God. It'd be what does God desire. Trusting him to care for me no matter what. So, how do we know what's best? starts with knowing God. Knowing God is the key. That's the key to knowing what's best. Knowing God, out of, out of our relationship with God, out of knowing Him, then we get, I believe we can apply the three principles that, that Jacob experienced in his life. To be guided today just as he was guided back then. In, the, in a very similar fashion. I mean, I, I don't know. God may tell you, God may send you to Pat Moran like He sent Jacob. I don't even we're not even sure exactly where that is, but he may send you there. I hope not. But, but what about Rock Hall? What about, what about Chestertown? What about Wesley Chapel? Think God might send you to Wesley Chapel to represent him? Think he might send you to your neighborhood? What about to your work or to your clients? Think God might send you there? I think he definitely does. Think he has a plan for you there? Absolutely he does. So what are you going to do? How do you know what's best there that's in keeping with God's will for you there? Maybe not Pat Moran, but right where you are. Right where you are. Knowing God's plan is, 
is an idea that, well, let me just say that I don't believe, and the people who disagree with me, you may disagree with this, I don't believe that God has a prescribed plan for your life. Like, like I want you to go out here and turn right. I don't believe God has that plan for your life. It's like your life is not scripted like that. What I do believe is that God has a plan for our life. So where do I, how do I draw the, connect those two? I believe he has a, part of our, part of his plan for us is to give us free choice. But that we would choose freely to honor him. What am I talking about? Well, look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses, well, it's got up there 3 through 5, but I'm going to skip down to verse 4 there. Even before he made the world, Paul's talking about God, before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Christ. God's plan is Jesus. That's God's plan. God's plan for the world is Jesus. This he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Jesus was his plan for you and I, for the world. God planned for Jesus to come and and be the salvation for the world. God's plan was for the church to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. God's plan for our salvation, right? But, But also, that God also planned for you and for me to live in a particular way. That's why he gave us the scriptures. That his plan is that we would live our lives oriented in such a way, making right choices, God-honoring choices based upon Scripture. God's plan, yes, includes you living a holy life. God's plan includes you making, me making disciples. That's the general will of God, right? When we understand the general will of God, it's, it's overarching. It applies to all of us, right? But there's a specific thing as well. And he's told you what it is. Or he's telling you what it is. He's wired you in such a way that you care about some things that the person next to you could care less about. He's given, he's given you a passion. He's given the de- a desire in your heart. Just like he spoke to Jacob and said, oh, you're going you're, you're to come back here, right? He's told you. He's created you with a, with a bent towards something, someone, a place, a people. I don't know. Discerning that, to understand the, the, the definite conviction of your heart. That's how we understand that, that God desires for us to take a certain course as opposed to that one over there, because they're both good choices, Right? Good, good choices. Which one are you going to pick? The one, that, the one that he makes me care about. The one I don't care about, I'm obviously, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Right? He gives you a, and that takes discernment. That takes listening to your own heart. Maybe he hasn't given you a, something to really care about. Maybe he gives you a lot of things to care about. That, that's my, my problem more than anything. I'm, I'm, probably, I'm one of the worst people at this. And John A. could don't stand up and say amen. I'm about to say, you just be quiet. So, uh, 
because the danger is it could be a passing interest. It could be a, just something that's interesting. But the way I'm wired, if I'm, really, if I'm doing something I really feel called to, I'm, man, this is it. And I, you know, I'm, I know that this is it. And then I see a squirrel, right? Or I see something shiny. I'm like, oh, what's that? And before I know it, if I'm not careful, I walk, right? I, man, that used to plague me. I've gotten better to, to say, no, 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 this is, this is my, this is where I'm to be focused. That, that's great. But this is where I'm to be focused, right? It's not every desire of your heart that God is speaking to you in. You have to discern, you got to take that to the Lord. We can't just chase everything that's shiny. Waiting, that's why these other two pieces are so, so important. These other two things that Paul, that Jacob experienced. Second one was knowing what's possible. Knowing our circumstances. Knowing what's going on in our world. What's right in the moment. What's right now. Is it to wait? Is it to act? What are our circumstances telling you that you should be doing? Because not even, not every desire of our heart is from God, right? Not every desire of our heart is from God. In fact, I bet that most of them aren't. The the longer we walk with Jesus, the more our desires get to be like his, right? But if if you just started following Jesus or you kind of stumbling and bumbling along, don't expect every desire of your heart to be from God. Because they're not. James, the brother of Jesus, gave this counsel in, in James chapter 3. He said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in, in the humility that comes from wisdom. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The desires of my heart are to do one thing. It seems like this is the right opportunity for me to react in a particular way or to act in a particular way. But if it's not God-honoring, then that's not God's will. Right? If it doesn't align with God's character, if it doesn't align with what he's, how he's trying to get us to react or act, then that's not God's will. Circumstances can certainly be telling us one thing, but if we can't act out of, with godly wisdom, then that's probably not from God. That's probably not God's will. What it is, usually, is pride rather than humility. I mean, you're wrong, you're offended, I've been taken advantage of. <laughs> I know what I want to do, but I know that's not right. So I think, well, maybe I should do this. Well, if this isn't wise, if it doesn't reflect the character of God, then that's probably not the right one either. I feel a strong desire to act in one way. Seems like God is leading you in one way. But if it doesn't take us, if the way we want, that we feel like everything is lining up, we've got to move here, right? If that's not closer to God, then that's not the direction he wants you to go. He's not going to lead you farther from him. He's going to lead you to him, to his character, to his nature. He's going to lead us to him. So know your circumstances. 
is the, is the direction you are looking to go or you're considering going, is it towards God? Is it going to move you closer to Jesus? Third, finally, know how God speaks. Knowing how God speaks. I mean, what we need is that confirmation that, that, God, that Jacob experienced, right? That God spoke and said, go. I mean, who, want, who doesn't want that, right? You may not want it in a, with a British accent, but, like I do, but that's what we want. It's God to tell us. What we need, though, is confirmation that our desires and our opportunities are leading us the way that God wants us to go. Because just because I desire it and the opportunities are lining up, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Because, because frankly, we, we, we script things in our heads. Don't you do that? Don't, I mean, I, I'm not the only one who does that, right? Like, if I, if I want to go fishing next weekend, right? I, over the next several days, I will begin to create a, a dialogue, a script in my head where I will begin to see things lining up so that I can be fishing next Saturday, right? I mean, it'll just, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? right? We, we, we write, we fill in the details with what we want to happen. So we have to check that. We have to check that. And the third one, knowing how God speaks, is that check. Is that check? How does God speak to us? Scripture's full of ways. Second, I have all these scriptures in here. They're in the bulletin if you want to download that program. Second Corinthians 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed. God speaks through his word. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, in righteousness, training in righteousness. All scripture. So that you can be equipped for every good work. God speaks through scripture. His word can come to you that way. There are reading plans in today's worship program that, that come in all facets of how uh, to, to seek God's will in making decisions. God's word can come through you in the spirit. The spirit can speak to your spirit. Jesus promised that he would send the advocate who would speak to us, who would teach us all things, right? God can speak through someone else. Romans 12, verses 6, 7, and 8 Talk about the, the way people are gifted to, to be able to speak into other people, one another's lives. We're to be an encouragement to each other. Does that mean you listen to everybody who says, the Lord told me that you need to? No. But that's one way. That's one way that God can speak. He's also got to put it in you, and he's also got to make it clear that this is, is now is the time. Other way he can speak is Trials. Before I was afflicted, Paul, uh, the psalmist wrote, when I went astray. But now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. So teach me your decrees. So teach me your decrees. Everything that happened to Jacob wasn't good. Everything that's happened to you has not been good. But God wants to use it. God wants to use your experiences to, to move you closer to him. To move you closer to Him. God can also speak to us through creation. The heavens declare. I love that passage. The heavens declare. For me, I love to sit in the woods. I, I could stay out there all day. Doesn't matter what woods, right? But, but just to, to be there with the animals. and I mean, I, I go to deer hunt and I just sit in the stand because I just like to watch everything happen.
So, so we have this internal desire to do what God desires for us, right? Then we have external conditions who are, that are just seem to be lining up so that now's the time. And then we get confirmation from God, an outside source, outside of us. Someone else speaks into our lives or, or we read scripture that, that, that seems to be telling us that this is it. And we get a conviction that this is the time to do what God is asking us to do. If you don't have one of those, it's okay to ask God for it. If there's a desire in your heart, right? And, and, and it seems like the opportunities are there. It's okay to ask God for confirmation. I have friends who, who are now missionaries in Greece, and uh, they, they tell a story about they did that Jacob's Fleece, where they put something out on the ground and prayed that their dew would fall on their yard, but not on that paper. That's what they pray. God, show it to us, just like you did in the Old Testament. Before we go, they woke up the next day. They said the paper was dry. Their yard was wet with dew. And so they're in Greece today. Just to ask God for confirmation. If it seems like the doors are opening but and, and, and feels like the scriptures are telling you that, you know, I need to, I need to we're to evangelize. We're to make disciples, right? But, but I don't have a heart for it then it's okay to ask God to give you a heart for it. It's okay that, that the things are in place, God commands it, but you don't want it. It's okay to ask God to change my heart, oh God. It's okay to ask God to provide the one out of these three that's not present. And, and even if all three are present, I mean, let's face it, you and I, we're, we're human, right? We're, we're probably not going to do this perfectly. Jacob didn't do it perfectly either. That's why that scripture that says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's okay to make mistakes moving for God. You're not going to do it perfect. But a heart that seeks to please God, to honor God, and you're making choices with that as your motivation, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to get out over your skis. It's okay. You don't have to do it perfect. Because His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient. But we can't follow unless we're moving. So eventually we have to decide. We have to decide. Am I going to wait? That doesn't mean wait being lazy or procrastinating. That means waiting upon the Lord. That means seeking God's face. Asking Him to make it clear. That's what waiting is in Scripture. We have to decide if we're going to move or not. Philippians 1, 9, and 10. And this is my prayer, that your love, that your love for God may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Ultimately, knowing God is the key to knowing what's best to do. So I encourage you today to seek Him first. If your relationship with Him is, is lacking, if you know that, that you're not seeking Him, then this is the day to turn. They call it repentance. It's not, it's not beating yourself up for how, how many mistakes you've made. It's simply turning from my way and seeking His way.
That's all repentance means. It's turning. Turning to God. For others of us, this might be a reminder that, you know, I've stopped asking God to give me that desire of my heart. I've stopped asking God to open doors for me. I've stopped asking God to confirm in my life that this is His will for me in this decision. That we maybe once again turn back to looking for these three clear signposts in our lives to show us where God wants us to go. I'd like to pray for you today as we all seek to honor Him with our lives. Lord, we love you. We do, Lord. Many here today are, uh, I know, many in this world, God, love you and, and want to do your will, want to honor you with their lives, God. We get caught up in, in not, not knowing how you're leading us because we're not looking anymore. God, open our eyes, open our hearts to hear your voice, even a still, small voice calling us, calling us out to follow you. Lord, we love you. Take over. Lead us where you would have us. We love you and we praise you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've got one more hymn. And I don't know what number it is. Number 318. You probably knew what number it was. (laughs) It's good to have you all here today. God bless you. If you will rise. Streets of-